The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Faroz and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Heal. I think the Conservatives are going to be licking their wounds after a particularly bad by-election result over the weekend. Katie, this week is Rishi Sunat's one-year anniversary. Do you think he can bounce back from such a poor result at the weekend? Well, it's obviously a hard task because I think it's been written many times by many people and said many times on this podcast. But I suppose where are we after two very bad by-election defeats? I think you've seen, you know, lots of talk over the weekend about as we said on the previous coffeehouse shots, you know, is Labour now heading to this landslide? And I think that the result has clearly added to the optimism in Labour, but also trying to say we're not complacent, we're not complacent. I think on the Tory side, we are inevitably now in the place where everyone you speak to has a different opinion on what Rishi Sunak should do in order to turn things around. And it's not great timing that I think it's Wednesday to the day, which will be Rishi Sunak's one year anniversary. And I think... You know, it's no great secret, I think, that Rishi Sunak and his team would like him to be in a different place one year on than around 20 points behind in the polls, with having lost, uh, you know, multiple by-elections and potentially another by-election soon coming up the track. They're still technically in a place where it's better than what he took over from. If you think about the 30-point lead Labour seemed to have when Liz Truss was in place, I also do think there's something to be said for just politics feels in a much calmer place than it did a year ago. Um, if you think about the mini budget, um, yes, interest rates are still very high, but I think there was a constant sense of what's coming around the corner, the idea that things could get a lot worse. Um, but therefore, Rishi Sunak has succeeded, I think, in moving the UK and the Tories also out of crisis mode. We're now in a more stable period of government. What he has not yet succeeded in doing is winning enough voters round as to suggest that the Tories will uh, you know, win re-election or even have a, a decent chance of that right now. There's still probably a year to go to the next election or around that. Um, so I think, as we have seen many times in politics, right now it does look pretty bleak for the Tories. Where are the rays of hope or signs of trouble? One thing is actually reform. If you look at both Tamsworth and Mid-Bedfordshire, the Reform Party won in votes... Um, more just over effectively what the Labour majority was. Um, So you can look at that in two ways, depending if you're a glass half full or glass half empty, which is, despite the local elections suggesting reform are really nowhere, they could have a really bad effect on the Tories and, you know, edge them out in a few seats in a general election by squeezing the vote, but not being very near enough to get it themselves. The other is, there is an argument that if the Tories were able to try and condense that reform vote round, bring people over, they have progress on things like the boats and so forth, then you're in a little bit more of a competitive place, particularly a general election where, um, you know, you have higher turnout. Uh, so I think there are things that uh, the Tories can look to, but I suppose Rishi Sunak's bigger task, I think, is not so much 
oh, let's just say things in a year are going to be so much worse or not improve. It's more, how do you keep your Tory MPs focused, unified, um, and working towards the side of the winning if there is just this sense of dread seeping in because of these by-election results? Yeah, I think looking on the one-year anniversary, it offers a chance to look back over the past 12 months. And I think that for a while, you know, as Katie said, Rishi was, you know, was, really, was seen as, you know, being to turn it around. Uh, there was a sense of him get, chalking up these kind of diplomatic wins. He got the uh, Windsor Framework Agreement through in March. Uh, Brexit hasn't been nearly as much of an issue as it has for his predecessors. He had uh, international agreements in Tokyo and Washington, was seen as delivering the AUKUS. And so I think there was that. But what killed that, of course, was the May local elections. And really, since then, he's been on the back foot, I'd say. Uh, you know, I think this shows the importance of narrative in politics, uh, as Katie says, keeping your troops in line and telling them a story. So I think that although Richard Junak's probably big achievement since coming to office 12 months ago was getting a much better grip on short-term politics, short-term events, and having that sense of competence. It's the kind of medium and long-term they're working towards. As you said, another sort of 12, even potentially 15 months until a general election, what are they going to do to keep everyone in line and trying to go for Labour on some of these issues, go for those 50-50 balls, because if not, they lose heart and discontented. There is a chance perhaps that, you know, Labour could uh, achieve a bigger result than might otherwise be the case if Tory MPs were really invested in the fight. How crucial is it about when Rishi Sunak actually calls the general election? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the election has lots of impact on what happens in it in terms of you need to pick the most opportune time as a party that you can. There's no fixed term parliament act anymore. Um, There have long been figures in number 10 who quite like the idea of May for various reasons. But I think there are also figures in number 10 who who hold that view, who are not going to go for an early election if the polls stay as bad as they are, it's just not really an option. So I think the only way you're going to get closer to the idea of a spring election happen is if you see that poll leads start to reduce quite significantly in the coming months to around 10 points, which right now does not feel as though it's the, the most likely of the scenarios. And therefore you end up probably in an autumn election. Now, I think the gallows humour point, and I made this joke um for attempt of a joke I think on the BBC and then I saw a Labour MP tweeted it saying I had said there's going to be a January election so to to, to clarify <laughs> um, I think increasingly I would never predict when exactly it is going to be but I think the point about January is more just you start to see I've had people joke to me oh January doesn't look so bad now because you just push it and push it. I mean, there was polling at the weekend suggesting voters would prefer a spring election to an autumn election. I don't think that's really going to factor too much into conservative thinking on when to go, unless you generally thought there was going to be unrest and unhappy, you know, in a serious manner because of delaying it. Um, I don't think that will be a big factor. I think the problem with a January election clearly is you interrupt people's Christmas there's many reasons you would not want to do I think you could be very unpopular for choosing to do that so I actually think you only end up in a January election if you get to the autumn you don't go in the spring you get to the autumn and then something just happens in the autumn which means that you cannot go for a a reason and you almost just fall into it but they'll be looking at when effectively is the economy going to be in the best place between now and then and also is there any big event that we're not currently aware of such as you know for example is there really awful weather um you know forecast for this period which means you're going to have flood like there's lots of things like that which would be so it's when is the best time to go and also is there any event to suggest that it's going to be so bad if you wait that you should actually go a bit earlier because you have a decent probability chance that some event's going to happen in the future that would make it tricky yeah also over the weekend um, was a lot of protests, lots of pro-Palestine marches, and they there was over 100,000 people at these protests. Some of the people there had some slightly more hostile intentions, and Suella Braverman's now looking to 
take a more robust approach with the Met Police. James, do you think this looked good for Suella Braverman and her relationship with the Met Police? No, I mean, it's obviously it's been one of those really you know, key touch points, as we've talked about in this podcast before. You know, the, there's an interesting question for the Met Police Commissioner, who is t- technically appointed by the Home Secretary, but also it's accountable to the Mayor of London. So this kind of dual accountability system going on. Uh, no, Suella Braverman obviously has been very outspoken, very critical of, uh, you know, things to do around free speech issues, but also trying to get this balance right between um, policing time to time of difficult community tensions um, and but also making sure that you're allowing free speech. So it's a difficult one for the government. The government appointed the finger at... Um, the police, the police pointing the finger at the government, saying that you know they discussed this with CP, the, CP, the, the Crown Prosecution Service lawyers. They looked into it. There wasn't grounds um, in terms of that man who was shouting jihad, 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 because there wasn't um, a specific intent towards an individual. So it then gets into this this difficult issue. I think it's going to be one that plays out throughout the week. I think the danger for the government is that they look to be seen as impotent in the course of this. Obviously, it's an immensely fraught issue. Anything to do with Israel Palestine, nothing new there. Um, but I think the, the key question is, you know, is there some? Is it a matter of enforcing the law, or are more new laws needed? Katie, lastly, one thing that listeners can look out for this week is there's going to be a lot in Parliament about landlords reform. Could you talk us through what Michael Gove has intended and whether that he's had much resistance to it? Yes, this has long been a really contentious issue for the Tory party. Um, shock. Uh, effectively, uh, Michael Gove leading efforts to try and improve the deal for renters and, you know, tenants to landlords. And there are a block of Tory MPs who have been quite hostile to some of the changes. Um, lots of people say, well, some of these Tory MPs are landlords themselves. Um, but I think it's all about getting the balance right between improving the deal for those who do uh, rent, rather because they have to, or by choice, while also making it so it's still competitive enough to have enough landlords you know, choosing to rent out their properties and not turning off the market in that way. Um, now, it all comes down to no-fault evictions, which is one of probably the most contentious parts of what uh, Michael Gove is trying to push through with the Renters' Reform Bill. It goes to second reading today, and there is a Tory rebellion, but what you're seeing is lots of the Tory MPs and the whips saying, yes, if you want to rebel, that's fine, but don't do it on second reading, push it further down the line. Um, this isn't the time to have the fight. Let's get it to the point where... We, you know, it gets to a point where we, later at committee stage, we can start to air these and have these debates. There's also a point, I think, which is Labour, uh, if they, you know, are like to be supportive of the no-fault evictions, so they could potentially get a free on Labour votes, but no Tory Prime Minister really wants to do that because it creates, you know, ill feeling and so forth, and um, particularly after two by-election losses. Um, I think the question is, the argument you will hear from those Tory MPs who are opposing it is you are going to uh, reduce supply further if you bring in some of these protections for tenants and that is going to um, mean there is less availability and push up prices further. I think there is a question which is, you know, the go fight view is we need to give uh, renters a reason to think the Tories are on their side. The polling at the moment is not great in the sense I don't think many renters, if you look at the polling, think the Tories are massively there. So will it be a case of too little, too late, even if they do bring in some of this? Because they've already diluted it such that um, with the no-fault evictions, it would come in only once they've improved the courts, which would take some time. So I think we're on a long path for various reasons to actually having this in action. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thanks for listening.